because being at peace with the age you are is just it's wonderful you're not trying to fight anything you're not stressed out you're not hiding it you're not lying All right, Patricia, I'm super excited to have you on here on our Live Leaderly podcast. Uh, and as a introduction to everybody, Patricia Greenberg, aka the Fitness Gourmet, is a nutritionist, chef, wellness coach, and author in Aging Well. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on here. As a, as you know, like I did a little research on you. And I have to say, one of the things that stopped me in my tracks was seeing that you did 20 marathons and 115 half marathons. Yes. So tell you about that. Yes. <laughs> well, do you know, because I'm a little geek on math, do you know how many miles that is? No, you probably know better if you added it up, but I have a wall. I have every one of my races tracked on a spreadsheet. And I've got an entire wall of all my medals and all my timeline, um, but I never actually added up the miles, which is kind of funny. 2,088 miles that oh, you have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've run more than that. I've run 1,000 5Ks and countless 10Ks and 15Ks. And um, I stopped doing full marathons in 2018 because I was starting to develop hip arthritis. So I've been doing um, shorter distances since then. And now I do... A couple of days a week, I do 5Ks. So I'm still at it. Yeah, believe it or not. That's awesome. So right now you're, what is the range that you're doing? I do only do 5Ks now, which okay. is a 3.1 miles for, for people who don't know what that distance is. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And uh, do you mind me sharing your age? Because I know- Not that at all. No, no, no. I think it's very relevant. And I love to tell people that I'm 63 and I didn't start running till I was in my mid thirties. And I ran the Boston Marathon at 54. Uh, actually, at 50, I ran. The, I went to Greece and I ran in Athens, Greece, and I ran the original Pheidippides Trail, which is where the marathon came from, from the Battle of Marathon to the ancient Olympic Stadium. And then I ran the Boston Marathon in 19 in uh, 2000. Um, that would have been 2014 or 15, 2015, and I was 54 years old. And I remember I didn't qualify. And so I went in on a charity team and I called the office. I said, how many women that in their 54 years old can, can run a marathon in three? I mean, the, the qualification was insane, like three yeah. hours and 45 minutes. They said, you'd be surprised thousands because my PR was four hours and 32 minutes. So that's for the marathon geeks in the, in the room um, who are listening. But um, I gave up on at some point on how long it took and what my pace was and all that. I just didn't for enjoyment, but then it started to hurt more than it was helping because I developed, um, actually what I developed was a tear. It's called a labrium tear and the mm -hmm. cartilage surrounding your hips started to shred and that's extremely painful. So that's when I switched over to shorter races and now I do walking instead of running, but it was a, a long trajectory and while we're at it, I just love to tell people I was a chubby, unathletic child. I didn't eat healthy. I didn't take care of myself. And when I got into my early 20s, I was kind of floundering. And um, I went to get my, I was going to be a dentist. I was studying science. And I was getting my undergraduate degree in pre-med. And in order to graduate um, in those days, I don't know if this still holds, probably not, but I had to have a home economics uh, a course a credit to graduate. 
So I said, okay. So I went and took nutrition just for the fun of it. And I loved it so much. I switched my major and became a nutritionist dietitian. And I remember that added a good year and a half, almost two years to my having to stay in college, which was fine. And then um, I was, you know, working out three days a week, getting my degree in nutrition. I graduated and I started working. So we were all going to the gym in a kind of lightweight fashion in those days. And I was doing that for a few years. And then I moved out to Arizona, decided to go to graduate school. And from there, I left dietetics and I went into teaching nutrition and wellness to culinary students. So I took my degree to teach chefs and other food professionals how to make their restaurants healthier. Um, and I was teaching in a professional culinary school. And I got an ad that was laying on the couch one Sunday and I saw an ad and it said, train for the Los Angeles Marathon. And it's a seven month training program and it costs $50 and you just show up every weekend. And I said, well, I'm a nutritionist. I work out, you know, three, four days a week. I could do this. I didn't think about marathoning. And I joined the program and I ran my first marathon. It was LA Marathon. It was 1995, spring of 1995. Oh, and in a fluke, you ran that? and I was 34 when I did it. 34. And in a fluke, crazy thing, there was a hailstorm in Los Angeles on March 8th that that year. And it was brutal. So many people didn't show up. People were dropping out like crazy. By the time I got to Hollywood, the water was up to my calves. It was flooded. It was, and I just kept going and I ran it. And I remember thinking, I think it's embarrassing to take longer than five hours to run a marathon. I'm not sure. So I was hauling ass from like mile 21, 22 to the end. And I finished in four hours, 59 minutes and 57 seconds. So like right under the five. And I said, well, I'm, I'm never doing that again. That was horrible. And my friend called me up who I had trained with and said, you want to run the New York marathon? And I said, absolutely not. I'm 35. I'm built like a cherub. Uh, no way. I'm not doing it. He goes, come on, let's try. We probably won't get in, but let's do it. Well, we applied, we got in. And then I ran the New York city marathon again, in under five hours, really good time. And I thought, there's something to this. And then I just took off with it. So I ran 10 New York City marathons, seven Los Angeles marathons, Athens, Greece, Disney World. And then, like I said, in the in-between marathons, because it's not healthy to run marathons every weekend, although I know many people who do, I was doing all the races, you know, the 5Ks, the 10Ks, the 15Ks, the half marathons. They were wonderful leading up to running a full marathon. Then I had my daughter, I got married in 97 and I had my daughter in 2000 and I took a few years off and I said, eh, I'm not going to go back. And then my brother was in Chicago and he goes, why don't you, why don't you come and run the Chicago marathon? I'm like, okay, I'll give it a whirl. And then I picked up again. So that's why the bulk of my races were actually in my late forties and early fifties. So I always say I was a late bloomer to the, to the real ultra sport. Um, one thing that comes in handy with that is you have less injuries the older you start because you don't have lifelong injuries, oh. but it is it is harder on your body. And that I've learned. We all think we're invincible. We're all we all think we can do in our 50s and 60s what we did in our 20s and 30s. And I'm just going to tell you, and this is again one of my leadership mantras is that 60 is not the new 40, 50 is not the new 30. If you're 50, you're 50. If you're 60, you're 60. And I want you to embrace that. Because being at peace with the age you are 
is just, it's wonderful. You're not trying to fight anything. You're not stressed out. You're not hiding it. You're not lying. And all those things are what age you and also what keep you from being your authentic self is that you're always trying to hide something. So that's why I'm really big on staying where you are today. How old are you? Where are you at? Where are you at financially? Where are you at with your life? Uh, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And if you're very, very clear about that, all the other aspects of your life will have clarity as well. Mm, that's amazing. So, you know, you were talking about, um, I mean, long journey, right? Like yes. 35, actually you started a lot earlier than that, but right. we talking about the leadership aspect. So you yes. from being basically kind of a, a connoisseur of all the running and the races and just really feeling yourself to now uh, you're writing your fifth book. Yes. You've written four. You yes. are wellness coach and author. So how, what was that transition from being someone that's just trying to figure this out to, you know what, let me, let me share what I've learned. How did, how did that transition happen? That is such a wonderful question because my, it's interesting that, you know, your trajectory can be short and then you have one success and you kind of got to ride that out and there's an ebb and flow to life. And so I, 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 it's a very, very, very important thing to, to look at because um, I moved to Los Angeles. I'm a New Yorker and I always have one foot out the door because I love the pace of big cities mm-hmm. and I love the um, everything available to you at all times. But I want to talk about competition and how that plays a role in leadership. So when I moved out West um, it really has the la la land connotation and everything seemed calm and relaxing, but the level of competition is there no matter where you are, no matter where you live, no matter what capacity in work and in trying to get ahead in your life, in your career, there's always going to be competition. And I don't even know that it's direct competition to you, but it's competing with yourself and competing with the world. We're kind of set up that, that way to have to do that. Moseying along in life doesn't seem to get you anywhere. Some people look like they do. They're just floating through life. and But, you know, they're working hard as well. So the trajectory was that I came out and I was teaching in the culinary school. And for lack of a better way to describe it, I didn't have high aspirations or high expectations of myself. I found something I loved. And it wasn't like, this is just for now. And next job's going to be higher. And the next job's going to be higher. And I'm going to outperform everyone around me. That wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about that. So maybe in some ways it saved me from being, you know, losing sleep over it. And I started to get really, really good at teaching, which led to some public speaking. Very often you find that uh, community events call upon schools and teachers and certainly specialty schools, culinary schools to come and speak at their high schools or to at their fairs, or could you bring students in from the culinary school and help us do a food fair or an event at our school? And little by little, I was getting out in the community and starting to speak and to talk about what I do and talk about whether it was food, healthy food, professional cooking. And I started to feel, this is the only way I can describe it, is my self-esteem kept climbing with each successful endeavor, even if it wasn't paid or it wasn't a lot of people or it was in a small bookstore and I was handing out food samples and talking about, you know, what you do in the holidays or in the summertime or healthy Fourth of July foods or how to, you know, not overeat on Thanksgiving, you know, these little tips that a lot of nutritionists give. And it just started to snowball. And that's when I 
develop the confidence that I could be even more of a leader and do more with my life is because I was getting such good feedback from what I was doing. And that's where I was saying it's competitive. They could have asked six or eight other people and they chose me. Then what happened, and again, I love telling this story because it is so profound. I was teaching at the culinary school and it was 1990, um, 1996-ish, 97. And I said, you know, I want to write a small booklet for the students where they're buying all these textbooks on cooking and nutrition and food at kitchen safety and sanitation. I just want to make them a little five dollar pamphlet that they can go through because they're not going to school for to get a degree in nutrition. They're not studying the science. These books are unnecessary, costly, and they're not even opening them up. Mm-hmm. And so I was at a women's chefs group and the um, I was telling the women, I want to do this for my students. No biggie. I'm not looking to write anything big or profound. And they said, you know, so-and-so has an agent for her cookbooks. Why don't you ask her? So I got the name of the agent and I called the agent and she said, um, we're not interested. That's scholastic. We do, you know, it, we don't do those kind of books. Nice talking to you. Goodbye. She practically hung up on me. Then three weeks later, she called me up and she said, um, I, I have to share something with you to see if you're interested. And I'm like, oh, is this the same person that kicked me in the stomach three weeks ago? And she said, uh, there's a major publishing house in New York looking for an author to do a cookbook on soy and tofu. And they want the person to have a degree in nutrition and live in California. She said, but you're up against a lot of already established published authors. So you need to just put together a proposal this amount of recipes, this many chapters and submit it. I'll help you through the process of it and let's see if we can do it. And I have to tell you, Michelle, I never in a million years thought they'd pick me. Here I am. You know, I was fatty patty when I was in high school. I was not ever in a leadership capacity at that point in my life. Through college, I certainly got involved in a lot more, but I never, never, I never thought I'd be picked for anything. Let's put it that way. And they picked me. They picked me over some very um, established authors and it was Random House. And I couldn't believe it. And they paid me a very handsome fee to write the book. And it took about a year and a half to get it out. Five editors later and the book came out and it exploded because the book landed on the shelves the same week of October of uh, that would have been October of um, 98 ish that uh, the FDA approved soy foods as a cholesterol lowering food product. So I kid you not, Katie Corrick called me when she and Matt Lauer with the height of their fame on today's show and asked me to come on and do a segment on my book because they had heard that soy was now the new miracle food for reducing cholesterol and saving you from a heart attack. That run from the time I was on the Today Show for about seven years was my full-time job. I was on TV shows, I was speaking at conferences. Uh, ADM, which is one of the largest producer of soy, well, producer of soybeans, it's more growers, but they are the largest producer of non-food and food soy products in the country. So oils to food to non-food products, a lot of biodegradable products are actually made from soybeans that we don't even know now today. It's fascinating. And I spoke at their conferences, I would, you know, the TV programs. And um, it was, and this is what I knew I was good at, and this is what I was going to do. And then over time, 
Um, I got pregnant with my daughter. Um, I had her. I took a little bit of time off and I just kept getting the calls. I wasn't even pursuing it. And this is not to brag or to say, hey, you do one thing or that expression, do what you love and the money follows. I certainly followed up on all the things that I needed to do with this. So that translated for me into I'm finding what I'm good at. And I figured, how can I be an inspiration? Because to me, being a leader is as much as an inspiration as it is, you know, not only setting an example or being there, say, you do this, you do that, and you do this because I'm your leader. It's just being who you are and showing, you know, not to be afraid. So having a baby at that time was interesting because you got to run a household and that requires an incredible amount of leadership. Uh, as well. People don't, you know, one of the things that I always say to people who are applying for jobs later in life or, you know, put down your PTA and your, you know, what you needed to do in your house and what committees you served on, because they all required a lot of good skills to do that, even if you weren't being paid. So mm -hmm. that's what I was saying. This competition, people are competing for salaries and so forth. Nobody can take away your experience from you. So this led to, um, so the first book was a wonderful springboard. And then I was approached by Harper Collins to write a book on vegetarian desserts. So that came out in 2000. I was pregnant with Gabriella when that was coming out. So it was 2001 that came out and I was doing the circuit with my book, promoting it. And I went on a radio show on NPR called Let's Do Lunch. And it was about uh, a musical show, but they did it at lunchtime. So they would have chefs and authors and talk about food. And the gentleman at the end of the show said, you're really good. I said, what do you mean? I'm really good. I just came on as a guest to talk about my book. He goes, no, 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 you're really good. And I need a co-host. Would you like to join me? I said, wow. So I joined him on the air. And eventually he left and I got my own show called The Fitness Gourmet. And it was all about nutrition, fitness, wellness, and taking care of yourself. And I wasn't putting an age on it. Mm -hmm. And I worked in partnership with the radio station because we were all helping each other at that time with so many things going on on how to make the show bigger and how to grow it. And it's interesting when people look to you as a leader and look to you to make decisions you step up to the plate. You say, okay, let's step back and think about what's the solution here. And what I learned in this process, Michelle, I can't tell you how many times I showed up an event that I was going to do a cooking demonstration and the oven didn't work or the food product I was looking for wasn't there or whatever, things go wrong. And part of being there and being 100% present and in charge of what you're doing is learning how to pivot and make a, um, you know, make a decision on the fly, sometimes, uh, you know, it can be a pretty big emergency. And I'll tell you the number one thing I learned in all of this of what I'm doing is don't panic. Even if something seems to be a dire emergency and the world is crumbling around you or everybody's screaming, they don't know what to do. Don't panic, just sit down and tackle the hardest thing first. And it could very well be an emergency. It could be a medical emergency. It could be a work emergency. What is it that you have to get out of the way first yeah. to make this work? And I love that you hit on that because that's what I'm super passionate about is, you know, we end up in leadership positions. I call it being an accidental leader, right? You yes. just end up being thrusted in front and you've got to figure it out. And so how do we prepare ourselves for that? But you brought up more than a few times about your self-confidence. And you, yes. when I look at your 
your resume. I mean, you've got a BA in nutrition and food science, degree in culinary arts from Le Cordon Bleu, IACP certified culinary professional, ISSA certified nutrition and age well health coach, uh, ACE certified in personal training, yin yoga certification, certified anxiety and stress management coach, and supporting member of MedFit Educational Foundation. So mm-hmm. with that kind of pedigree and resume, but yet you brought up so many times about your confidence and then just now about how not to panic. So how did that come to fruition? Like while you have all this, knowing that you have this, I would be super confident walking in anything, knowing I've done all this. Did you feel confident? Uh, Not at all. And that's exactly what happened. That is a stumbling block for more people than you know, is that, well, okay, I have this, but maybe somebody's got a master's degree and whatever from that school, or, you know, I have all this experience, but maybe they've been doing it for 30 years and I've only been doing it for 20. And then one day it was like a light bulb. One day I said, you know what, if they don't like me and my credentials aren't good enough, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And, and it, I don't think it was really that I woke up that day and felt that, but it was, it was what I started to see is people would say to me, well, with your credentials or with everything that you've done, like you're saying, you know, it was almost like, they were bewildered by me. You know, they didn't know what to do with me. And I never stop learning. I'm taking, I'm in the middle now. I've written four books with on my fifth one on the way. And I sign up for writing classes all the time. In fact, this morning, I'm doing a writing challenge that forces you to be accountable for how much you're writing every day. And I, I never signed up for one of those, but I'll tell you, it's the accomplishment. Okay. At the end of each thing, as I accomplished it, I thought, you know what? I did this, I can do anything. But you, every single decision you make in your life and wherever you are in this day, this time, in this moment, your decisions are going to be based on where your self-esteem is at that moment. Mm. Because your self-worth is going to dictate every decision you make, how much money you ask for in a job, what you're going to tolerate in a relationship, and your own surroundings. Now, I and some of it is the way you're brought up. I'm astounded and I marvel at people who have an entitlement. I deserve a big house. I deserve a nice car. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Yes, you do deserve it. I think everybody deserves a nice life. Okay. But it's like, you know, what it, what is it I can do in my life to get there? And I think that's the more important thing that gives us self-esteem and gives us confidence because I'm constantly amazed when I meet people who really, you know, are scrappy and, and, and you know, didn't have the opportunity to go to school and do, and, and they've made it very, very big. I admire that beyond belief that I say, okay, they had no advantage. So I've come to, to see at my age in my 60s, uh, among my peers of, uh, and all the different avenues that I work in and the people I come in t- contact with, seems to be a prevailing theme that they didn't feel good about themselves when they were young, because I'm going to circle back to competition. Everybody felt like everybody was competition and everybody was so nervous. What if their grades are better than mine? What if the school they went to is better than mine? What you learn as you go, which I, if I could take, I have a 22 year old about to graduate college. And if I could take this out of me and put it in her and say, The key to living life to the fullest and getting everything you want is to stop caring what 
anybody thinks about you. And to stop saying, I didn't do enough, because there's always going to be somebody that says, now you don't need to go get your master's, or now you need to go do this, or you know, you haven't been working in that job long enough. It's all about you and what you can do. And the more you can hold your head up and draw from those things and the tiny little things. So let's talk about those tiny little things in your life. Have you ever accomplished something so small and you just couldn't believe you did it and you felt fabulous? Like, I don't know, I'm not going to say screwing in a light bulb. That's really, but have you ever assembled something that you couldn't yeah. think you do or solved a computer problem? Like you're stuck and you just can't figure out how to get unfrozen or you can't, you, you lost a document that you just spent four hours on and you want to scream. And mm-hmm. if you just sit down and give yourself and you find it, how fabulous do you feel? How yeah. confident you feel? So I remember being, and I wasn't at the time, I was actually pretty fit and, and, and well-fed and all the things that I, I needed to do for my wellness and my happiness and my health at 34. But I thought, I have no business running a marathon. That's for really tall, skinny people or people who went to track and field their whole life in high school and college. What am I doing? I was saying this to myself at the front, at the starting line. And then I said, you know what? I just have to do it. So I walked up to the starting line. And in those days, nowadays, there's, there's security beyond words and everybody's fenced off and the elites are held in a private little tent until they're ready to go. But at the LA Marathon, all the Kenyans were lined up at the starting line. Are you ready for this? I walked over and stood at the start line with the Kenyans. And I just waited for the gun to go off. And the gun went off and they took off. And of course, I, I didn't know what hit me because I was like, there I am <laughs> starting out my marathon and everybody's gone. I'm like, okay, I'm going to come in last place anyway. So, oh, well. And um, I embarked on this journey. When I finished that marathon, I felt like I could do absolutely anything. And that was the kickoff to me really starting to feel like, um, and it wasn't even authoritative for other people. It was that I could do things for myself. And that's the most empowering. If you are taking care of yourself first and not in a selfish way, but you're doing what's good for you and you're keeping yourself, I always say happy, healthy, and upright, right? Is that you're upright, that you're not schlepping or you're not falling down or you're not caving or you're not, it's, it's metaphorical as well as physical is that you just not succumbing and um, you're holding yourself up and you go, and I go out in the world and people say, you know, I did the most extraordinary thing in my life. What was the most amazing thing you've ever done in your life? And people go, you know, I ran a, a 10 K or I, or I went on a trip by myself. And here I'm thinking I've done 20 I've traveled all over the world by myself for both work and personal because I didn't get married till much later. And I thought, see, one little thing could change a person's entire life. It doesn't have to be 20 marathons and it doesn't have to be uh, traveling to to Asia by yourself or any of those things. It's tiny little things. So I say any accomplishment that you can, do you want to write a book? Okay, write that book. Don't worry about who's going to buy it. Don't worry about who's going to publish it. Don't worry about the typos. Don't worry about if the if it's gr- grammatically correct. Just write the book. Get there. Then put it together. Put the final touches on. Learn how to do it. But every day, if you're saying, I'm not a writer. I wasn't born a writer. I didn't get A's in English when I was growing up. None of that matters. It's what little things you can do today, little tiny accomplishments that makes you feel good about yourself and it empowers you 
to be an inspiration to other people. Yeah, you know, and and what you brought up to just a little bit ago about your daughter and at 22 and you didn't start marathons till you were 35. So if you're looking at Patricia at 22, 23, 24, 25, right? Everything that the things that are coming to me that you're talking a lot about where you are right now and we're talking about grabbing leadership concepts and how do we get to where we are, right? You brought up you're always still learning your confidence, self-confidence that you wish you had, um, telling yourself that you deserve to be there and yes. not, you know, and then the other thing is, it's okay if I fail. Do you think 25 year old Patricia was, did she have that or was that something that you developed over time? I had none of that then. I, you know, and, and every new job or, or new adventure that I embarked upon was terrifying to me. You know, I, I, this is why I said, I like to tell young people it's an adventure. You know, you got a new job or you you're moving into an apartment or you're, uh, you're starting graduate school uh, or a project or research, whatever it is you're doing, or you're taking the year off and you're going to go do something different, or you're going to go get what I call, you know, like a, you're going to go get a fun job just to hold you over to get out of school. They're all equally important. A. B, they're all an adventure. Mm -hmm. Every single thing you do in life is an adventure. You know, my sister-in-law has this great, because I, 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 never, I never steal anything. I always give everybody credit for where it came from, no matter what it is. And she said, I like a fast fail. So something doesn't work, you end it, you get out. Don't belabor it. Oh, I should have stayed here. Most people keep this job for five years. I can't leave after two years. I can't tell my boss I'm unhappy. I'm too embarrassed to go home and tell my parents it didn't work out. Or I have a spouse I have to tell, or I don't want my children to think I'm a failure. You say right now, you know what? This isn't working. I think it's best for you and for me that we call it quits. Let's cut it. Let's, let's end while we're still friends. So it doesn't escalate into something horrible and go home and tell your children, you know, mommy tried really hard and it just didn't work for me. So we're going to try something else. Say to your spouse, you know what? I know you were counting on the income. You were planning for me to be there. Let's work together on trying to find another solution and saying to your parents, I know you had high hopes for me. You wanted me to graduate from law school and medical school, but it doesn't work for me. You know, Michelle, you know, how, you know how many people are out there that hate what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that to me is not everybody's going to quit their jobs and go find something else. We need to pay attention to our security and our financial wellness also, but really start to look at how do you make the best of where you are? What changes can you make to make it positive? And you buy, people are going to look up to you as a leader. And even that word leader is interesting to me. You're leading the way, but you're leading together. Leaders work with people that they're supervising or that they're inspiring or that they're mentoring, whatever the case may be, you're doing it together. That's where this unduly competition in young people come in. They're all in the office. They want to be the next one to get the promotion. They want to get the professor's attention in school. They want to go out to a bar at night and say to everyone, I closed the deal. I made the most. You know what? You don't have to do that. You really don't have to do that. It seems like it. And you know what? I hope to think that you have the kind of friends that will love you no matter what happens to you. And you know, there's the what I really want to emphasize on that, that 25 to 55, you know, the, all those years that go by, when you're living in that angst and that 
that competition and that fear that somebody's doing better, someone's going to judge you, someone's not going to like you. I think we're always going to have an element of that in our lives. I think that, that you're never going to get rid of that completely. Um, but if you realize how that psychologically is affecting you has an impact on your body and on your wellness and the calmer you are, the calmer the approach you take to everything in life, the calmer your body will be. The calmer your body will be, the more efficiently it will work. I could save you all a lifetime of heart disease, ulcers, weight gain, insomnia, colds, flu. You know, all these things are exacerbated by stress attacking the body and the body attacking itself. Could be very minor. You could just have this nagging backache or uh, this cold that won't go away, or you just can't sleep and you're always getting headaches. So much of this is related to this self-induced stress that we put on ourselves. So I, what I'm coming to find in this 24-7 world we live in, if I could it, it, tell everybody just five minutes, you don't need to sit on a floor and close your eyes and cross your legs and sit in front of an altar or even pay for a class, although it's always good to learn in a class. Find your own five minutes, 10 minutes, a couple of times a day. Um, if you really feel like you're ready to boil over, breathing and walking gets down to that movement. Again, doesn't have to be a marathon. In some ways, I say I learned the hard way. I learned how to take care of myself from beating my body up, right? Instead mm -hmm. of just taking those little, go for a walk, get up, walk around your desk. You've heard these four, I can't say it enough. Deep breathing it actually physiologically calms the body down and it gives you a better sense to make better decisions, to not be not as reactive. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you relationships. Um, this is like fodder for all my books, you know, talking about people's experiences. Relationships are based on mutual respect and on you having respect for yourself and allowing a person into your life. Okay. You play as much of a role in any relationship as the other person. So if you feel that you're always being beaten up on or you're always being abused or you're always being taken advantage of, you play a role in that. And that's one of the hardest things for us as human beings to come to, to, to terms with. So if I could tell younger people, if you feel someone coming at you or something coming at you or a situation that's highly uncomfortable for you and inflammatory, you have every right to express your discomfort and say, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing that. No, I don't eat eggs because I'm allergic to eggs. Or no, I don't drink because alcohol has an adverse effect on my body. Rather than sitting there and going, I'm going to go out for drinks with everybody because that's what everybody does, but I'm going to be sick tomorrow. You shouldn't be doing that to yourself under any circumstances in any age. And you know what? You may feel like the social outcast. But you know what? In the long pull, I always say, all right, maybe you get paid back for your uh, rewarded for your behavior later in life. But later on, people are going to say, you know, he or she was always the one that took care of herself. And yeah. that is that's the number one thing. Taking care of yourself improves your self-esteem, improves self-esteem, gives you confidence, having the confidence to go out and get what you want. And if listen, if you get passed over and it's happened to all of us for a job, a book contract, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or just somewhere in the family, you don't seem to count. You seem to be the, the niece or the cousin that not everybody's 
you know what, there's a whole wide world out there and it's going to be okay. So if you didn't get that job, another one's going to come along. I have seen too many times in my life where I cried my eyes out over something that didn't work out and then something good came later. So um, if you don't mind me just veering off on that for a second, one of the things that I learned at a very young age and didn't pay attention to is that I have a very, very um, hyper uh, connection with my intuition. And I think a lot of people do and they just don't pay attention. Intuition's a funny thing. It isn't, I wouldn't revolve your whole entire life and say, you know, that doesn't feel good. So I'm going to quit my job today and just get up and walk out. What it's telling you is uh, you don't have homeostasis in your body and in your life. So start to pay attention to it. Start to pay attention to the things. Is there a common pattern in your life that's always making you feel uncomfortable or you find you keep doing the same thing over and over? That's not because you're stupid or that you're weak. But you're not paying attention to the intuitive signals that are telling you it's time to make a change. And if you start to feel them, you don't have to make a change that second, but you could work towards that your intuition and your body, your physical body and your sensations will tell you everything you need to know throughout your entire life. So if something doesn't feel right, step away. And danger feels very different than discomfort. And we all know that discomfort is like, you know, I'm not liking this vibe here. Or you know what, the more I investigate that, doesn't seem to be, it doesn't work for me. It's not something I'm interested. Danger is when your whole body goes rigid and go, there's something wrong here. I need to get out of here. And you know what? You can feel that sense of danger in an office setting or in a family gathering. It's because the the um, the the lack of connection or the inability to come together is so strong. It actually makes your body feel like it's in danger, as if a tiger is coming after you. Yeah. So pay attention to those single signals and don't let it get to the point that you feel a tiger is attacking you. You know, try to pay attention to it sooner. Because your body is saving that energy for when you really are in danger or something's threatening to you, which in this day and age is, is highly unlikely. But those little things that we ignore, physical symptoms, if something hurts, pay attention. You know, okay, you may want to give it a day and see if, you know, your leg still hurts after an athletic event or going to the gym or hurting yourself or falling down. But pay attention. There, everything that's going on in your life down to how deeply you're breathing is a signal. If you're breathing very deeply, your body's relaxed. If you're breathing shallow or it's hard to take a breath, it means that your body is tense and it's reacting to something going on either externally or internally. <clears throat> so that might sound a little woo-woo. No, I think I've it all comes uh, comes back to everything that you've been talking about, about taking care of yourself and where you're going is, uh, is really listening to yourself like it holistically from the inside. So that's what I'm getting from this. And, you know, it's interesting. How did I get to be into wellness coach, which is so different because people I grew up with, I'm still very, very close with many of my childhood friends because I went to a school that was K through 12. So we all grew up together and um, they all say to me, I can't believe this is how you turned out. I mean, they're proud of me, but they're like, this is not, you know, this is not what you, you know, this wasn't, you weren't, this is what wasn't your thing when you were younger, but you know, nobody's saying to me, ew, how did you end up that way? What did you, you know, there isn't this animosity because I'm authentically doing what I'm doing and I'm happy. I'm not trying to fake it. And I think that that comes across in, in everything that I do. I, and I'm very, very honest about what I can't do. 
maybe to a fault, you know, but I tell people, no, I'm not capable of that. Or no, I'm not comfortable doing that. But Michelle, that took a long time to get there. I would never talk back to people. I would never stand my ground. Um, And like I said, the marathon was a defining point for me because right around 35, that's when I really started to put my foot down and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow this in my life. And things do still seep in. It happens to all of us, right? You know, and in a roundabout way, but the whole thing is it's a windy road to where you are today. Yes, Yes, it it is. It isn't just one straight line and you complete it and you're there. So I love that you're really showing that we we all learn to be where we are and we all take different things around us put it all together. Right. And it's still a journey. It's not yes. starting to stop. I want to also use a share with you uh, something that I've been talking about a lot in my work and talking to people that I work with. There is this horrible word in the English language called relevance and you're want to stay relevant. So you're going to keep, I don't know how it made its way into this everyday conversation that, well, I have to, do so-and-so to stay relevant. I have to be active on social media. I have to look a certain way. You're relevant till the day you die. Every human being on this planet has relevance. If I could somehow change that, especially in the young people's minds, you're important, you're relevant, you count, everything you do counts. Just because somebody else is in front of a camera and uh, you're trying to keep up, it doesn't make you any less relevant. This is a media marketing tool. And I got maybe at at the risk of sounding like an old lady about this, but um, it's just somebody telling you that it, it, you know, watching, uh, I have a line in my book and eat well, live well, age well. This is that we don't seem to, you know, mere mortals, we mere mortals don't seem to age the same way as celebrities and people in the media. We're all aging the same way. They are using uh, masks and different uh, techniques to uh, lead you to believe they're not aging. But I want you to be able to see through that. Everybody's aging and they're just as relevant at that point in their life as they were 30, 40 years ago. Relevance has nothing to do with how much you're being seen in the media and how many hits are on your social media. And I struggled with it myself because we're all trying to stay visible. Mm -hmm. visible, Being visible And uh, hacking your wares and telling people what you have and what you're selling is a completely different thing than whether or not you're relevant. So I I really want to, I think that might be the next book, right? We'll talk about relevance and counting and being and being who you are in in the world today. If you and I want to tell my friend runs this project where she matches up kids in college that are studying gerontology and the science of aging with people in um, everywhere from 55 and up communities all the way up to full nursing, skilled nursing facilities and, and developing relationships. And they're finding that the 20 some odd or 19, 20 year olds have so much in common with the people in their 70s and 80s that they, they didn't realize because life is life and they may have more experience. But, you know, you like chocolate, I like vanilla, but there might be somebody else that likes the same thing as I do, regardless of their age or their statue in life. And when you learn to come together, uh, you know, peace on earth, if you will, um, everybody starts to see that everybody has something to offer. One of the things I want to tell young people in terms of leadership is you can interview people, you can ask people, 
how did you start Apple computers? How did you start Virgin Airlines? You know, all these, these CEOs are asked these questions. Um, how did Warren Buffett go from, you know, his small home in, um, in uh, Nebraska to being the richest man in the world? Uh, no one will tell you, oh, I'm lucky or um, I deserve it. Or I had, you know, when I was a young man or a young woman, I had so much confidence. I just walked into you know, walked into the New York Stock Exchange and rang the bell. Nobody says that, right? Everybody says, I was a scared little kid and I had to figure out one step at a time how to get there. And it wasn't easy. And a lot of times it wasn't pleasant. And the reward is later. So let's try to find little rewards from day one. So those little tiny accomplishments feel good about them. If your, uh, you, whatever your marathon is, um, whether it's something creative, something financial, something mechanical, something mathematical, it, you know, it's your goal and it's your path. And just try to stay, keep that interesting balance of staying true to yourself, staying on track, and also letting the world in around you. Let the world in. Learn from other people. Don't put blinders on that nobody else counts except yeah. you. We all count. It's very important. I to love it. I love it. Well, Patricia, I absolutely loved our time, but I think out of everything that we spoke about, and I love that saying, whatever your marathon is, I think what I'm grabbing from you is two of the top things is self-confidence and just saying, yes. I deserve to be here. That's right. That's exactly right. You, you have a place at the table across the world. No question about it. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to thank you. with you thank and you. your story. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Lovely to meet you. And I wish you the best with this.